Welcome to the Crater Podcast, a weekly show where we discuss all the JavaScript news that's happened on Crater.io this week. This episode is for Friday, July 22nd, 2016. This episode is brought to you by Modulus.io. They're an easy way to deploy your application no matter the language or framework that you're using. They are great for deploying JavaScript applications using technologies such as Node.js, Meteor.js, Feathers.js, and many other frameworks. They recently updated their build process for Meteor to include uploading the code to a build server. They use a Docker component to create the build and output a consistent application that gets sent to the servos making it more reliable and easier for you to deploy your Meteor application. Check them out, modulus.io. DigitalOcean is the best place to get your Meteor application off the ground quickly and the easiest to scale when you find success. I host crater.io there, so I understand DigitalOcean. Start with a pre-configured one-click launch, such as Node.js, to get it up and running in 55 seconds, or build the exact infrastructure you need with root access to servers running 100% SSD and state-of-the-art data centers around the world. DigitalOcean is the fastest-growing cloud infrastructure provider because it's built for developers and laser-focused on its mission to create simple and elegant solutions for developers and teams. Use the promo code CRATER10 on the billing page when you sign up for $10 to get started. Welcome, Crater fans. I'm your host, Josh Owens, along with my co-host. Abby Iyer. Welcome back, Abby. We've been on a, a little break. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that, man. Nah, it's hard. We're getting to New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like two weeks off. So, like, two I don't know. Last week was just crazy. I was doing Crater Conf, and it was good. It was good, but it was crazy. How'd that go? It went well. It went well. I feel like I uh, I leveled up quite a bit. Like... Scott Tolinsky from Level Up Tutorials, he gave a great talk that outlined like building, like doing the design piece of React Native. And there's generally like some pretty good React Native talks. Ken Wheeler made like a uh, Duck Hunt clone using, he found the actual Duck Hunt sprites and made a clone using React Native. So that was pretty That's cool. awesome. Yeah, it was fun. There was there was a weird problem with Crowdcast that like recorded this like really low res version. So yeah. the second and third day, I ended up recording my own copy, and I gotta sync the the video and the audio together now. So it'll be a bit of a chore, but I think we'll get slightly better results. Like the text is unreadable in some of those talks. So yeah, but a lot of knowledge was dropped. So I was super happy with that. That's great. Yeah. Yep. Can't wait for the next cough. That'd yeah. be cool. Yeah. Got to figure out what I'm doing next. Can you do a little roundup of uh, our New York adventure? Sure. Yeah. So this week we're going to talk about Transmission just dropped a new episode. I haven't watched the entire thing, but I've gotten a good way through it. And they actually referenced some of the New York trip there. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And then we're going to talk about the new React client that dropped just today. Uh, minimal viable DevOps and Meteor's nested import controversy. Controversy. It's not really a controversy. Not it's really. <laughs> we'll talk about it when we get there. We'll talk about it. 
<laughs> so yeah, we went to Meteor Camp, New York City, which was cool. Like I, I've never, like I've been to New York City, but I've never been to the UN. That was different. That was awesome. Never been to the UN ever. Yeah. Or New York. So. That's an amazing place to have a conference because like every attendee had like desk space and plugs and there's like the little, if you follow me on Instagram, I had a picture of the earpiece on yeah. You know, like, and you can tune in to, like, obviously, we didn't have any translators, but if you were doing that kind of thing, you could, like, listen to the translator, or uh, we were able to just hear, like, direct mic output straight into the, the ear speaker, which was kind of helpful sometimes, because the room yeah. didn't have the greatest overhead sound. But everyone had a mic in front of them, and so they could, like, speak into that mic, and then it, it piped, you know, so you could have three yeah. people in there with mics. It's awesome. So cool. Yeah. The talks were great too. I only saw the first day, but I, I, I caught quite a few talks on the first day. I enjoyed what I saw, but we had to get on the road to get back. The funniest part of the first day was just uh, very progressive views on media, you know, like uh, not what people were expecting to hear, right? We were not painting a very pretty picture, not because it wasn't pretty, just because we were being realistic about the future of that. Right. Uh, second day was a little bit more media oriented. I gave a talk on Apollo, which had nothing to do with media at all at that point. Um, but then the talks following were definitely like just media based. And then there were several panels about media. Uh, there's a media 1.3 chat, which I contributed quite a bit to. It was just interesting to see. So my takeaway though, from the people I met and the talks that we have, like, the people that I, I see using media right now are somewhat very happy with, uh, with what's going on from the people we met. But the people like Arunoda, you, myself, like we are kind of seeing the bigger picture. Where are we going next? You know, the people at the conference were happy with what things are today. But the several of us that were thinking like, how can we think about the future? Right. So that's the distinction I, I, I found with people there. Everyone was super stoked on Meteor. So maybe we're just the negative Nancys, but they also were not thinking about scale or growing their business or growing their product. They're just thinking about how easy it is right now. Aaronota gave a talk where he talked about like the future of Meteor and said that it probably won't exist in 2018 or it'll just be like a little build tool that hooks things together. I probably tend to agree with that. And I think you're right. Like to me, it's not even about like the bigger picture. I think part of my talk is about the hidden pictures, right? Like you don't, you don't realize, but it's Ben Newman and he's like the yeah. only guy working on media right now, as far as MDG is concerned. And so we went from back in February, having this large team working on it to like now you've got one guy at MDG working on Meteor and like they're working hard, I think to actively replace a good portion of Meteor inside of Galaxy as far as like the backend infrastructure for running their app. To me, that signals a dangerous shift that we need to pay attention to. And either this is going to become purely a community led effort or it's going to die off in my opinion, because there's like, yeah we went from having a team of like eight or nine smart people working on the core to, to one, like Ben's super smart, but it's just like, we're not going to be able to get the same kind of output out of one person. One person. 
Exactly. The other people before. So that's a huge concern to me. Arunoda put it really elegantly on the second day during the panel. He was like, um, well, in the last four years, we've built a really good community. Mm -hmm. People in this community are people that he considers friends, people that he considers like people he can mentor. He said, Meteor can come and go as long as the community moves together. So if, if Meteor does leave or whatever, there has to be, there can be another technology that this community can still stay a part of, you know, and still leverage the same connections. That's what he's hoping. Yeah. Um, I agree and disagree with that. You know, there's like, you gotta make uh, certain things happen for the community to stay together. But I don't, I don't think that's super practical. Like it's, it's yeah. an interesting idea, but at, at the end of the day, like people are going to, leave Meteor and maybe leave JavaScript, right? Like you have, I, I think a common exit point I'm seeing is like Phoenix and Elixir or, um, you know, seeing people jump out like to react and then slowly eking out into the, the node ecosystem that way. And like, yeah. I agree. And I think maybe uh, sticking with node makes the most sense to me. And that's what my talk was about is like embracing the node ecosystem We've already started to build some working knowledge around that over the last three years. I think it's going to be many years before, if at all, before WebAssembly is a reality and you can do something there. Like maybe web components becomes interesting, but I still think JavaScript plays a part of that. The other thing that I wanted to address, like if you listen or watch uh, Transmission 13, is that they talked about Saturn and like Aaron Oda brought that up during his talk and yeah. said that that was maybe a viable alternative. And again, like most of this information that we're gleaning comes out of like us looking at the GitHub repos and paying attention to what's going on. And like Saturn popped up in the Apollo organization. And I don't know if Aaron Oda even talked to anyone, but he, he kind of made this assumption that it was going to be a thing. And then like I got back home and tried to use it. It was broken, said something to Sashko. He's like, yeah, don't use that. We're not going to really build that out. Yeah. It's just an experiment. So I don't think that's the next big thing. I, I'm kind of at this point where I think I'm kind of pro library and maybe anti framework at this point. Me too. Yeah. I'd rather build stuff myself. Yeah. I don't know that I would rather build stuff myself. It's just that I think you, you look at the popularity of react and realize like it's a library and not a framework. And like, it's caught on to the degree that it has because it's a library that you can add on to anything, right? Like exactly. having skills in react is going to be way more valuable to my future than me having skills in just meteor as a framework. Right. Because I can, like I can get hired by a shop down the street that's building Phoenix and Elixir app. And, you know, they've got react on the front end and like, I can absolutely work on that. Exactly. Yeah. It's huge distinction right now between frameworks and libraries. And yeah. I, I think I, as you probably scales, you want more libraries and you want to have a good foundation to plug libraries in and out of your application. That's the thing. Like if we look now leaving meteor, maybe six months ago meant that you had to replace a lot of parts, right? Like you had to replace tracker, you had to replace blaze, you had to replace like all these pieces. Yeah. But now there's like individual libraries, like, Oh, pick your poison, right? Like you can do react and you can use redux or you could use Mobx or RxJS, like just lots of options out there now. 
having those those libraries and being able to make that individual choice to switch out like one little piece or dependency of your framework of your application, I guess, it, it makes more sense to me now than it used to. I think having that flexibility and control is something that you should care about in the long term. And again, like I think going out and getting that job somewhere, you know, where they're using React, like you can learn a new little library and like probably not even worry about what kind of backend they're consider building or you have to consume. Like that's that's absolutely a super valuable skill, I think. And then when Apollo gets into the picture, or not even Apollo, but just using GraphQL in general, yeah. that's another skill set that kind of obfuscates you from the, the back end as well. So you don't really need to worry about frameworks and such. I think the biggest takeaway for me and, and what sparked a lot of the conversation is just the fact that like people should be aware that Meteor is going to slow down. Just no two ways yeah. about it. I think the other thing that they highlighted on in transmission that we just heard last week was the fact that 1.5 is now changed its focus. So rather than being like move all of Meteor to NPM, instead 1.5 is going to be tighter Apollo integration, which is sort of interesting. Like I wouldn't agree with everything. Like Sashko made a point about Apollo works with the account system now. Like I don't really want to have to run Mongo purely to have account login stuff if I'm going to use GraphQL. So I don't, yeah. I don't really want to use the Meteor account system. Yeah. Like, I want an Apollo account system. <laughs> yeah. If, if Meteor is on its way out and, you know, DDP is on its way out, then what does a tighter integration serve me as a business owner? 1.5, if it was an NPM-focused thing, that would have been, made so much sense for my product because then I have more options. I can actually start scaling my product, really. Like I'm not, I don't, I, I could potentially not have nine megs of JavaScript hitting my clients, my users who are trying to pay money for my product. I could always make uh, an express server that, that uses GraphQL or Apollo, even without 1.5, I could make it work. I don't need Meteor account system. I could figure it out, you know, like things like that. It's just now I'm just now for us at WorkPop, we're just more confined to the way things are today for a little bit longer. And we were really hoping with 1.4, the new Mongo updates, great, that's cool. But we're struggling today with the build tool, mm-hmm. having it so low. Our app is so big, it's completely slow. Developer productivity is going down. Two, we don't know what's going on when things break in the build system or in this crazy framework that they've built, right? So those two things are not good for professional developers that are trying to actually like make serious moves on their product. Yeah. Um, and I thought 1.5 was going to be that hope of like where we're going to go, but we're not getting that. So that's it. You know, they want to sell it as you get more database support now. And that that's probably good for some people as a developer. You're right. Like I'm more interested in getting better webpack integration or like replacing their build tool or, you know, any number of things like swapping out, pieces that I no longer need. Like I could rely on the pieces I care about and replace the ones I don't. And the other big question mark that's still left is like, what is the future of DDP? Especially if we're like 1.5, 
we moved up the Apollo integration. Like, what does that mean for DDP in the long term? Like, I don't know that if I that I actually care right now because I'm just unhappy. <laughs> having been through this cycle a few times, it's just I don't think MDG is going to fix the problems they have now. Personally, like I'm just I'm at the point where I, I believe. They're always just going to make decisions that make sense for them financially, and it doesn't necessarily line up with decisions that make my life easier, better, less of a headache, anything like that, or good for my business in the long term. So that's that's the struggle that I have every day when I look at what they're doing and and what I should be working on, and that's why you know I started to focus my time elsewhere, like React Native or React or Redux or. Meteor, for, for the, where the stage of your company is and where your product is, Meteor may make a lot of sense. Right. You know? uh, and it's going to be great for you. But coming from experience now where we have scaled to a lot of users, a lot of people, when everyone mentions the scaling stories of Meteor, no one mentions WorkCloud. They always mention Classcraft and stuff. But they're scaling by throwing money at it, right? Like, we're a scaling story right now. It's because we have actually turned off most of the features that makes Meteor unique. Right. Uh, I want to get that in there. When you're scaling to a lot of users, which in New York, no one really cared about scaling. I do. Like, when you're getting that big and that much load on your app, these features do not do well. So maybe we should have made the decision when we hit that uptick. (laughs) If you watch Silicon Valley, the uptick. Maybe we should have moved off then, but you know we didn't have the sense of the future. Also, we were promised a different future than we have today. So, just want to clear the air there. Like, I'm not negative towards Meteor. It's just not for what I'm trying to accomplish right now. So, like, if I look back to my time at GoDaddy, one of the things that they were always concerned about when they were working on that the GoDaddy bookkeeping product was cost per user, like the hosting cost per user. And I think when you look at Meteor, the hosting cost per user is higher than with other languages or platforms or frameworks or libraries, whatever you're using. Like, I think generally you have to be concerned with the scaling story. It's doable. Certainly is. But you know, if you're spending 50 bucks to handle 400 concurrent users, like that's That's more expensive. Like it's just that simple, but we'll get into it in another story too. I had a conversation once with Sam Corcos and he summed it up best when he said, you know, Meteor is a great line of business tool. And like, if you're just going to build an app that's going to have like a hundred users on it and you need to get something done, like great tool for that. Um, I think if you're trying to build like the next Facebook or Twitter, like Meteor probably not making sense for you. And there's a whole scale in between, right? And you got to do what makes sense for your business. Definitely. Okay, so that was that. <laughs> tell, tell us about all the, the other options out there for creating apps from the command line. Um, uh, okay, so Dan Abramoff has been uh, working on this project at Facebook uh, called React CLI. Um, it was inspired by Ember CLI after he went to EmberConf and met Tom Dale there. Um, they had a bunch of chats about where React was really... Uh, lacking um, in terms of like straight to development, getting going, go. Um, and there's a bunch of memes and stuff about React and how it's like, oh, I just finished my web webpack config. Uh, it took me like three days or something. Or like, oh, started started a new project. 
finish my Webpack config, project is not going to be finished, like things like that, because the steps it takes to set up a project outside of, you know, what we're all used to is this meteor scope of things where it's just handled for you. There's a lot of work, right? You need to have a, a dev server, which would probably be run on Express. You need to be able to use Babel, so you'll have to have some type of build system that uses Babel and uh, transpiles your JavaScript into ES5. So that's either Webpack or Browserify. Or, uh, those are probably the two biggest tools right there. I like both of them. And then you need to figure out how to organize React. Uh, you need to set up linting. You need to set up all these small things that, you know, over time, in terms of, like, starting a new project, if I had to look at that list, that laundry list, I probably wouldn't even start the project. I'm just too lazy, you know? And most developers are, you know? Most developers don't want to put up that work because it's really not valuable work. It's like yak shape work, just, like, this big hurdle to do things. So... Dan felt the felt that burn too when he was before he worked at Facebook and the whole community is like just complaining about this crap. So we have React CLI and that came out today actually uh, on Facebook's blog. Um, and what it allows you to do is it allows you to create a create a React application um, with everything I just said in it. They didn't make an opinion about CSS or anything like that. That's up to you. But like we were talking about before, React is just a library. And CSS also has libraries to use, too. So all these things work together. I'm excited about this. Unfortunately, it doesn't really apply to an app that is already started. But if you're trying to make a, like a play app, like a toy app, or something you want to just do for a proof of concept prototype, this is awesome, you know? And I think it will be expanded as it, as it goes. There's, there's also a guy named Max Steber, and he kind of helped with that. Like, the thing about the React CLI and what it's outputting it's coming from the knowledge of a lot of people, a lot of boilerplates from the community. This isn't just one person just in, like enforcing what they think. This is really like just learned from the community, everybody involved, all the boilerplates that people are already making for people today, right? There's a ton in, in GitHub. And we're just consolidating that information and giving it to you so you have a great time. Um, so that's, that's pretty much it. I would start using it if you want. Um, and really, as it says, once it's done running, it says happy hacking. And that's seriously what it is, happy hacking. So. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to give this a spin this weekend. I'm curious to see how, how it turns out. The thing you know, that I, I was actually most interested in is the fact that they have this eject script. Mm-hmm. It'll, just, it'll push like, all the config stuff down into your repo, and then you're no longer really using the, the React CLI, you're, you're back to just like a straight up node exactly. at point. So React always does this stuff. They know from experience. They've been doing this before. They've probably been bitten in the past when they've been using tools that get deprecated and they, they want control of that thing that they've been using the whole time. Like I think escape hatches are always, if you're writing libraries and stuff, you need an escape hatch. Mm-hmm. You know, way for your user to do what they want and not what you want them to do. So, yeah. Just splendid stuff always from the React team always gives good quality code, well thought out, and, uh, you know, voiced with reason from a lot of people that are outside of the React team itself. You know, there's only a couple people working on React full-time, but most of this knowledge comes from people who work on it every day, like you and me. So, GitHub issues is the best place to voice your concerns for this. And they will actually hear you out if you have a good idea. So do it. 
All right. So we talked before about worrying about scaling a media app. While we're in New York, we got to meet Michael Shillman, actually, author of The Next Post, cool guy. He runs a product called Hello Money. They made a fun little product as well called uh, Goodbye Gunstocks. And so they were doing like diving through your portfolio and that kind of thing. And then they realized like, hey, they've got enough data here. They can figure out like, are you investing in something that's investing in, in like gun companies? I don't know if you saw recently Sidebar.io got relaunched. Did you see that? Yep. So Sasha has been working hard on Nova, which is a React version of Telescope. And one of the things that he wanted to do was be more prepared than the last time he launched a new Telescope app, which was the, um, the video one. And he had some scaling trouble and some people gave him some grief over it. You know, we, we started having a better conversation this time ahead of time. And like I helped him set up DigitalOcean. He tried Galaxy and had memory leak problems. And like it, it just kept killing his container. And so we went DigitalOcean. He had a couple servers there. The big thing is like he's doing server-side rendering and delivering HTML to the client. And then it picks up and does the pub sub and we'll grab any new data after that. And so like that's good for initial delivery. Like if that can be done quickly, then you know you're gonna deliver a full HTML and it's gonna be a fully rendered page out of the box, which is a slightly better experience for the for the end user. And the big thing is like you can actually take that further. And so like I had worked with Michael, he had shown me he had set up pre-render and I figured out how to cache the pre-render response. So when bots were coming in, they would get shipped over to the pre-render server. And then I would store that for like 30, 45 minutes and just serve that up if more bots were coming through. Michael and Sasha and I started talking and trying to figure out like, how can we, like he's rendering, server-side rendering things. Like how can we get caching into that mix? Because that's the, if you think about it, like, there's different places you can make things faster. And like yeah. at that initial web server level, that's the place you can probably make it the fastest. You can either park something in front of it like Varnish, or you can do caching with Nginx itself and try to make things faster. And so I showed Michael a little bit of my code and uh, he figured out how to read a cookie. And so the Meteor login system actually sets a cookie. Like I go read this article, by the way, if you haven't trying to give you the highlights here, but like it sets that cookie. And then if you detect that cookie, you just serve them the regular app. If that cookie isn't there, then you send them the cache version because they're not logged in. And that's, that's the thing. Like whenever you're doing some caching on a server, you have to make sure that there's a way to have the unique user data uh, not be part of that cache. And so there's different ways to do that, but this was the easiest is just if you're not logged in, which is going to be the majority of the sidebar users, send them a cache page. Yeah, read that. And that's like stupid fast, you know? Like if, if you right now listening to this, type in sidebar.io and then wait five minutes and go back and type it in again, you're going to get a, a super fast response the second time for sure. Um, also reduces your CPU load. In rendering, like you do have a cache, you know, so you pay the cost once and you can always have a cache uh, timeout where you, you discard it and then they come again. And you download it. Yeah, yeah. The easiest way is just set a, set a time limit on it. Yep. 
of like 20, 30 minutes or something. Just depend. Like it's going to depend on your app, but yeah, depends on the app. We did this not, not nothing very elegant, but we were just rendering static pages for some users just for an experiment to see page load times. And we did, yeah, we did a similar thing for logged out users. We, we would just render a really quick page, cache the data that the page needed, and uh, call it a day. The only problem is converting a static page into a meteor page, right? Like, so it's completely static. And then the next, the next interaction, like this wasn't even bootstrapping meteor. It was just a static page. Then you click a button to actually go to the meteor app or, you know, the meteor version and the page load cost is still high for the next page. So what sidebar did and what uh, Michael was talking about is a lot better just because you have that native server-side rendering in, in the app itself and the caching problem. And this is cheap too, right? Like if you can get away with this, uh, you can you can absolutely, like running an Nginx server, you can run on a $5 digital ocean slice all day long. You can yeah. replicate those out and load balance amongst them if you want. You can, if you want even more speed, I think you can use something like memcache and... Uh, pull the, the cache from memory instead of from disk. Like there's a lot of options here to, to really, really make, make things to be. And Nginx is like, when I was comparing like frameworks to libraries, like it's like Apache is like the Swiss army knife and Nginx is like the beautiful chef's knife that you're going to carve a wonderful meal with. So definitely something to consider. And, you know, this is, I, I've been doing some research around this this week too, because we've got a client who's doing some e-commerce work and I've started working on that application. And one of the things I want to do for performance is, you know, taking a look at what can we cache? And there's actually quite a bit we can cache. Like if you don't have anything in a shopping cart, we can cache everything. If you're not logged in and don't have anything in the shopping cart, it should be stupid fast. So, and with galaxy, there's no way to do that right now. So that's a little, and with galaxy, you, have, you don't even have access to, anything to do anything. So. The, the client definitely doesn't want to get into the DevOps business. So they're, they're a little leery of figuring out like deployment and that kind of thing. Even yeah. if I set it up, they don't want to own that piece of it. So I think we're going to try to figure out a different approach. I'm hoping we can use like a middleware connect handler and detect yeah. that stuff and serve a cache page. So should be interesting, but this is like a great read. And I think the important thing to take away from this is there are a lot of different tools that you can leverage to get good performance out of your application. And you should be looking around and figuring that out because this isn't meteor specific. This isn't even like I've dealt with this for years in Railsland, like we were doing server-side caching. So yeah, this is outside the boundary of a framework. This is just a web yep. straight up. You know, yep. which a lot of people don't know. So they should get into that. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Definitely. These tools have been around forever. Yeah. Speaking cool. of not around forever, like tell us about imports and why there's a controversy around media. <laughs> I don't know. To me, this title is clickbait, but whatever. Just kidding. Uh, but no. So in, uh, in media 1.33, Ben Newman changed the underlying a module transpiler to use Reify. And if uh, Reify is actually an NPM module that Ben built himself, so you can use ES2015 modules in pure Node today. 
Um, and, you know, it's very complicated on how he actually does that, which you can look at. He actually has a really good documentation on how it actually, you know, converts the, the syntax into, you know, actual, you know, common JS module.exports and such. But it introduced to Meteor a way to actually have conditional import statements. So I can do a is client import this or, you know, is server import that. Right. Um, which is cool for the Meteor context because, you know, you do want to have the power to do isomorphic module loading, which is great. Um, I personally don't do that, but if, you know, if, it's, if it's something that you do need, go ahead. It's great. Uh, the only problem is uh, Pete Corey, who wrote this post, was trying to test those modules, and he's testing outside of a Meteor context, which is awesome for the speed, but in the case of, of uh, what he was doing, uh, that module wasn't defined. And that's because the Mocha, like, you know, if you're running Mocha tests from the you know, test directory, that has no context to Meteor. It's not like Velocity. So uh, he was just running pure, just pure Mocha for a pure unit test, and he ran into some trouble, which brings up the controversy part. So Reify itself is not any standard. Uh, it's not uh, part of any official node standard or anything. Is the opposite, right? Because they have a standard for imports, and it chooses. They do. They do. Yes, it, it goes against the current standard, right? In in Node community, right? The thing is, and that is true. It's true, and that is a controversy because you could potentially do things today that just aren't going to be kosher tomorrow, right? In the case of Meteor, so this is where I kind of have to defend Ben in this case, but in the case of Meteor, they obfuscate that from you. So you don't even need to worry about that, really. If, if you know, something's changed, he will fix it. But let's think about, let's take a step back for a second. Ben is on TC39. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's on His vision for how Node, the Node ecosystem is going to work in the future is ES2015 modules. And that's why he built this this module reify because he truly believes in enhancing language features. This is what we talked about in New York, but he truly believes in enhancing language features. He built reify because he wants people in the node community to start embracing these new language features as well. From that standpoint, I understand where he's coming from and I understand why he did that. But from a media user standpoint, it doesn't really affect you. It's still a controversy, but I don't think it's that big of a deal. Here's the reason I, I put this in. Like, I'm maybe at odds with you on the fact that maybe it doesn't belong in Meteor because I would say, like, you say Ben will fix it, but, like, how long will Ben be around, like, working on Meteor? Yeah. What, what happened? <laughs> Which is a consistent worry of mine. <laughs> I wake up every day and go, is Ben still at MDG? If nothing else, go read Pete's article. With Ben... He's always been really good about communicating, like, his decisions. Like, you know, when we were going to do Meteor NPM install, you know, back before he even built it, he had a huge dock. And he's like, this is why I'm going to do this. This is why we're not using Webpack. This is not. And, like, I don't know, I, I, I get where he's coming from. Like, the thing about Webpack and Meteor, why Ben didn't want to pick Webpack and Meteor is in the same kind of reason is Webpack is first-class support for CommonJS. That's how it's going to be. There's no plans for ES2015 uh, support. It's going to be common JS. And Webpack has enough problems to worry about than language syntax, you know. Yeah. But 
But then he wants the Meteor build tool, if it still exists, you know, uh, he wants it to be completely, you want to do code splitting, module reloading, hot module reloading, all that out of the box. He wants it to be 100% ES 2015 modules doing that, not having to use, you know, CommonJS. So it's just, if it's, diff- it's different strokes for different folks, but I'm glad he has all this documentation backing up his proposal and all this thing. I wouldn't be surprised if they accept it. I found the link. It was, uh, what did it say? Compelling document outlining the benefits of nested imports. So if you're reading Pete's post, find that link, and uh, it takes you to his why nest imports argument, which is a really interesting read. And then inside of there, there is a link called Live Bindings. And when you click on that, I ended up at uh, the Duality website, which is uh, Dr. Axel Rauschmeier. That is actually a super interesting read too. Like I just ended up, I probably lost at least a half hour trying to read all this stuff and like following links. I'm like, like it was good to like, yeah, that, that deep dive inside there, you know, like it's, I, I read the proposal for nested import. Yeah. It's super long, but mm-hmm. there, there's certain things that just pop out to you. Um, what do you get from that? Right. I think Ben's, position is like if you can have like string literals determine where your modules are so many things are possible like you can lazy evaluate all your code which is great you know uh, you can optimistically import stuff so you can try to import something if it doesn't exist maybe you can throw errors right you can try to catch an import state that'd be cool you can totally do dead code elimination like tree shaking all that stuff because that dependency tree is already there you don't necessarily have to do like uh, what Webpack does, and you can do code splitting. Mm-hmm. Definitely, you do code splitting because if imports are not mandatory at the top of your file, I can go on a button click, and I can do import. I can import something right there. You know, instead of having to, you know, constrained to these top level imports, I can start doing code splitting. Not even using the system API, just like say, oh yeah, in my function, I say import in the function. Use that right there. I don't know. It's, it's really interesting. It's not really Meteor-esque. It's just in, interesting in general. But I would take a look at the proposal. You just follow Pete's blog and you'll, you'll end up there for sure. Well, it's good to, good to get back at this, man. Yeah, I had a lot to say about the last one. But yeah, it's great to be back. We didn't actually have any Apollo news today, but that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Maybe next week. All right, guys. Once again, thank you for listening. As always, big thanks to Modulus and DigitalOcean for sponsoring this thing. If you haven't yet and you need to sign up for, uh, I don't have a code for uh, Modulus, but if you're looking for DigitalOcean, use the code CRATER10. They use that stuff to track if the ad's effective. So if you're thinking about signing up, make sure you use that, that uh, code. CRATER10. Yeah, I believe you do get a discount. So we'll be back next week talking about more JavaScript news. All right. See ya. This has been a Space Dojo production. You can find out more information about Space Dojo at spacedojo.com. It's easy to join the mailing list and stay in the loop. That's S-P-A-C-E-D-O-J-O.com. <laughs>